Welcome to SVCC Weekly, a weekly podcast from Sangamon Valley Christian Center in Muhammad, Illinois. We hope you enjoy this message from our church, and be sure to check us out online at www.sangamonvalley.net. But as we're going through Mark, working our way towards Jerusalem, towards Easter, towards the cross, uh, will you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8? Here at Mark chapter 8, there's kind of a transition that's happening in the book. We looked at it a little bit last week when Jesus finally sent out the 12, uh, made the mission clear. Uh, We're here now in Mark chapter 8, and we're going to only be in Mark chapter 8 this morning as this kind of transition is happening. Uh, And so you won't get as a broad overview as what we've done previously, because I want you to uh, make sure you get something that Mark has been showing us. If you remember Mark 1, 1, it says in the beginning, right, in the beginning, it's the beginning of the story of the gospel, the good news, really how we should say gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus himself so far hasn't really said those things about himself, but Mark wants us to know from the beginning who this is, and then he begins to show us who Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, the anointed one, the son of God, who he is, and so I'll have um, Carissa put up on the screen the kind of title slide for the message this morning that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, You've probably heard this before, but we need to make sure we're all on the same page here. And so there's kind of a little dictionary definition there of the words that are used. When I say Messiah, it's really what the New Testament says, Christ. It's, it's the word Christ. It's the Greek word, really, that we've transliterated. So in other words, we just kind of pronounce it in English, but Christ or, or Christos. Uh, And so that is the word that when they translated what we would call the Old Testament into Greek, so that kind of the common man's language of the time, when they translated that, the word Messiah in Hebrew, they then started translating as Christos or Christ. It really means anointed one or anointed with oil. It was the term that that was used when someone was selected for a specific office, a high office, the office of king of Israel. So when David became king, he was anointed with oil. He, he was there. Um, when someone became priest, it was kind of the same act that happened. Here, Mark is showing us this is Jesus. Um, I really am with most Bible scholars that don't like that we use the term Christ. Um, part of why I don't like it is most of us in this room, to be completely honest, at some point in time, um, some of us longer ago than maybe others, um, thought that Christ was Jesus' last name. If you ever thought that, let's just take a straw poll. Will you raise your hand? And yes, mine is raised. All right, at some point in time, the way Scripture says it, Jesus Christ, you think it's like Caleb Ingram, right? It's it's the last name. But no, it's really, it's, it's saying that Jesus is the anointed king. He's the Messiah. He's the one that was promised in the Old Testament over and over again. He's kind of that final part of the promise that was made to King David, that, that your, your throne is going to last for forever. There will be a king of the line of David. Jesus is on that. Jesus is the final king. Mark is kind of making that clear, making it stand. So it really would be easier for most people if, 
if the Bible translators would just leave that alone and say Jesus the Messiah. And they would do that all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It would help us get that picture probably a little bit better. But they don't do that for us, so we have to kind of memorize that ourselves. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the anointed king. So today, as we're talking about Jesus the Messiah, I, I want us to look at kind of three points, three parts of the story uh, where we are now in this transition in the book of Mark. The first is this, Jesus as the Messiah first demonstrates who he is without proclaiming who he is. He demonstrates it. He's been demonstrating it. Mark told us right up front. So some of us may have missed it thinking, well, Jesus is telling us right up front. No, yes, the Holy Spirit inspired it. The Holy Spirit made it clear that we would know as we're looking back what's going on. But if you were one of the 12, you wouldn't necessarily know right away. Because Jesus is showing them and not telling them who he is. He's showing those around, not telling them who he is. Jesus, the Messiah. In part, he's probably not telling them because he would have had a much quicker trip to the cross. See, the Jews were given a lot of freedom. The Jews were still in the temple, but the Jews were really being occupied by Rome. Rome was in charge. And so they had had some revolts. Some of you may have studied in school the, the Maccabean revolt. Around Christmas time, when we celebrate Christmas, the Jews are really, really celebrating that revolt that happened at that time when there was enough oil in the temple to, to light the, the temple lights, and then they have the menorah. And so if you really want to get crazy in the history, there's a difference in the number of candlesticks on what belongs in the temple and then the actual light of the menorah. But we won't get into that today. You can take that to Google yourself and find it later. But Jesus, the Messiah, he's demonstrating it first. Part of why I think he maybe is demonstrating is they were, Israel was being occupied by a foreign power. They'd had revolts. And so if he would have started this, it would have been pretty clear he's revolting. He's going to come in and just take over everything. And, and he wouldn't have been able to really show who he was. It would have been a little quicker trip to the cross. And yet there was a plan. There was a purpose that God had. They want, that God wanted us to know that this is his son. This is the anointed king. And, and what was going to happen was First was he has power. He truly is the king. He truly is the Messiah. He demonstrated it. And so let's read the first part of where we kind of left off last week. Uh, Mark 8.22. Mark 8.22. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they, they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, what? See, if you've been reading along with us, you'll notice pretty much every time somebody is healed, Jesus has touched them in some way, or they have reached out like the woman with the issue of blood and touched Jesus. And here, all of a sudden, as if to say, well, you thought it was magic. It's not. I'm going to spit in his eyes now. But look, they've known, they, they know of the power that comes out from God by touch because we just read, begged him to touch him. 
they begged him. Jesus had demonstrated he was the Messiah and that he had the power to heal over and over so much that now people were coming and saying, just touch him, please just touch him. And yet Jesus here kind of changes so that they know. It's as if to say, look, it's not, it's, it's not just the touch. It says he took the blind man by the hand. So he is touching him. And he led him out of town. Interesting. Some miracles have happened out of town. This one, Jesus is leading him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes, just picture that with me for a moment. How many of you like to put in your own eye drops? How weird is that? Do you think Jesus really sat there and said, come here, let me help you? Like, it's a, it's a title in a chapter of a book I read. Uh, it's, it's, the title of the book is The Bad Habits of Jesus. I know the youth group have looked at some of those with, uh, with Sherry Robertson, but one of the bad habits there is Jesus spits. Because he does. He, he spits on his eyes, and he put his hand then on him and asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. So in other words, it was, his vision hadn't totally come back. So it says, then he put his hands on his eyes again. I'm pretty sure, and I could be slightly off here, and you can tell me if you remember it differently, but at least in most cases, if not all of the cases of healing we've read so far, it's instant. Right? It's instant. The one with the flow of blood. She touched him. He realized power went out from him. Instant healing. Goes from there to the 12-year-old girl. Goes in and prays. She raises up. Instant. Here we now have, as Jesus begins to kind of change a little bit from what they were used to. He's now spitting on somebody. And now he has to do it twice. Or at least he has to ask for healing or pray twice. Or put, as it says actually in scripture, put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell anyone in the town. Some of us probably wonder, and I, I think there's a few possibilities. But Jesus says he's demonstrating he's the Messiah. We've already seen that he tells the demons who call him son of God. Don't tell anybody. And now we have several kind of instances of who we've been reading, and here specifically this morning we're looking at, and Jesus has pulled him out of town for the healing to happen. He's healed, and he tells him, don't go into the town, don't tell anyone. Interesting. Does he not want anyone to know who he is, although he's demonstrating it, making it clear? You read on a little bit into in Mark here in the next chapter, and the disciples come and, and they say to Jesus, they say, Teacher, we saw someone who, who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. And Jesus kind of responds to them, Well, if he's doing it, it's a good thing, kind of, kind of let him do it. So there's something interesting happening with the miracles of Jesus. People are now not just following him for the miracles. People are now going and kind of repeating the miracles. But ultimately, the purpose that Mark is showing us with the miracles is they, it is Jesus demonstrating who he is, that he truly is the son of God. He has the authority to cast out demons. He has the authority and the power 
to heal the sick. Jesus is the Messiah. Let's not miss it. So also, as we're going through Mark, we're really on a journey. It's part of why I picked this graphic, and I usually try to pick one or two for a series, but you notice the road there begins. You can see it, and then it's kind of foggy as you go. That's really probably how the disciples felt. What is happening here? What is happening? They're coming along this journey. In fact, we sometimes miss this as well because most of us aren't familiar with the geography of, of Israel. We don't know where everything is, right? Most of us here know we're about, what, two hours south of Chicago. When I'm visiting other places and they ask me, well, where are you from? I say central Illinois. They're kind of looking at me like, huh? What's that mean? And I always say two hours south of Chicago. It's kind of the reference point, right? And then some people are really smart. and They're like, I thought Chicago was its own state. Californians, let's, that's enough. Okay, don't need to say any more. But most of us, we're kind of familiar with the, our geography here. We know what direction is Champaign from here? That way, okay, I would take either answer. Thank you, Gavin, I think. What direction is Monticello Farmer City from here? That way, west. All right. I won't ask you south because most of you probably don't know for sure what's south uh, of here. We can say Effingham, St. Louis, kind of south, uh, southwest, right? You kind of, we have a general idea. Well, when we look at scripture, we don't always have that general idea. So we don't always realize that as Jesus is demonstrating to them, he's the Messiah. And as he's revealing kind of more things to the twelve. He is taking them even on a physical journey at times around to different places. And so just, just to help you get an understanding that that is happening here, I'm not going to give you every little detail, but some of you that love geography can go and study this a little bit more. But if you want to go to the, to the map there, Carissa, you'll kind of see some of this. And it's, and it's tiny on here, so I don't know if, where you'll all see. Um, but I have a Bible program, so you have some study Bibles that maybe have some of these notes in here. But this is Ga the Sea of Galilee. So pretty much most of what we've been reading up to chapter 8 is this the largest body of water that we can see on here besides the Mediterranean Sea. So here in the middle of the land, this big lake is what is the Sea of Galilee. Most of what's happened is around this. right? And then we have some different journeys off of here up to some different places. We talked about Tyre and the lady from Tyre. We talked about some different things here. But what we're going to see this morning, as Jesus has already begun to leave the lake as he's going around some different places, he's going to go north up to Caesarea Philippi. And here, if you can see kind of the topology in the map, he's going up higher. I believe this is Mount Hermon that's, that's up here. I haven't been to Israel, so sorry even for me. I have to really study the maps. I'm not good at geography. But I believe it's Mount Hermon that's up here, and then we would say that this is the Jordan kind of river that starts, starts in here and begins to funnel down, eventually funnels down to somewhere down here off the map would be the Dead Sea. And then kind of over from the Dead Sea a little bit would be Jerusalem. So most of Jesus' ministry, most of his teaching in Mark, we've been up here. We ventured out to where Jesus was from, maybe a little bit of Nazareth, but we've been around the Sea of Galilee and the Galilee region. But Jesus now, he's demonstrated who he is, and there's going to be a transition for the, the 12. He's taking them from here in this kind of Sea of Galilee area, 
and they're going to begin journeying up here. They're going up. They're going out and away. Just as Jesus, for this healing that just happened, took them out of town. It's as if Mark is giving us some, some clues in the story. Something's about to change. So just understand that if you are like, I have no clue what these little towns are, it's all right. Just understand something's about to change. The author is giving us a hint here. Something is going to change. And so now we get into the next part of the story. Mark 8, 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. They're headed up north. And on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? He's demonstrated he's the Messiah. He hasn't told them. But now he's asking them, Who do people say that I am? Who? So they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah. Others, one of the prophets. So basically, the 12 are saying you're a prophet. That's who you are. Names off John the Baptist, who, who was known, very well known. We've already seen he was beheaded. He stood in opposition to the leaders of the land where they were in sin. He, he, he called them out on it. Names off Elijah, did the same thing. Another prophet who, who called out the sin of the leaders. So Jesus, although we don't have every little story of it, we probably could assume since the 12 are saying, well, he's like John the Baptist, you're like Elijah, you're one of the prophets. He probably called out quite a bit of sin. And then he responds back to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So it's gone from who do others say I am to, okay, you 12, who am I? I would bet one of them was really smart and said, you're Jesus. Why wouldn't you? But obviously he's asking for more than that. He's already demonstrated who he is, so now he's saying, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Jesus, as the Messiah, is now going to come down and give them some, some f further instructions. But first, he tells them, don't tell anyone. Jesus says Messiah wants his 12 disciples to know who he is first. He didn't say this to the crowd. He didn't say this in a more public area. He set it out on a journey as they're traveling up north, probably where there weren't a whole lot of people, at least on the way. He's going up higher in elevation, which also tells us there's something about the vantage point, their point of view. He's hoping has changed just as they're going up higher, where you can usually see further. He's hoping they're grasping some of these things, finally. And they do respond appropriately. Jesus says the Messiah wants his 12 to know who he is first. Then he goes down to the next section of scripture and says this, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and, and be killed and after three days rise again. So he's taking them up in elevation, up further north before they make their journey and will begin their journey now kind of from that point towards Jerusalem. 
And so as they're going up north, he's now telling them what is to come as their journey will eventually work their way down towards Jerusalem. It says, he spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. I still cannot forget when one of my sisters said that to another sister. Oh, talk about drama. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Third thing I think we see is Jesus is the Messiah. He demonstrates first who he is. Then he wants his 12 to know who he is first. Now Jesus is the Messiah. He tells us he will suffer as the son of man. He will suffer. One thing, and I, I looked up the, every instance that the, the word Christ is used in the New King James Version of Mark. And every time the title son of man is used. Christ, Jesus actually never uses that title of himself. Messiah, uh, anointed one, he, he never uses that title of himself. He accepts that title. He's demonstrating that's who he is. He affirms that title. He affirms that when Peter says it, he affirms it later when he's being accused. He says, yeah, I am the Messiah. But he never uses that title of himself. The title he uses of himself and Mark over and over again is the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Why can he go and die for you and me at the, at the cross? Because he is the Son of Man. Son of Man, if you want to go back and read Daniel chapter 7 later, Daniel chapter 7 really is where that title began. Saying that suffering, evil, it's going to be vanquished one day. A Son of Man is coming. It's a vision that Daniel has. And Jesus, Mark is really making clear, is the fulfillment of that. But Jesus clearly accepts that responsibility. That's why he came. He's the son of man. What does it mean to be the son of man? He's going to be suffering. He's going to suffer. And he's going to be rejected. And it goes on, it says, by the elders, chief priests, and scribes. And then he's going to be killed. He's warning his disciples, this is going to happen because I am the Christ, yes, but I am the son of man. Those really were, were probably viewed by them as contrary terms. That's why when Peter starts talking to him, Peter is told, get behind me, Satan, because the Messiah was seen as the king. Does the king go to the cross and die? No, the king comes in with his army and takes things over. That was what they were hoping for, and yet Jesus is saying, look, I'm not, I'm not like the, the Messiah some of you have pictured incorrectly. No, I, I'm the Messiah that's going to come and die for you, the Son of Man. Not just die, but suffer, be rejected, and killed. It's interesting. Jesus is the Messiah. You and I, just as the question is asked, and there are three questions as we come to the conclusion of this section this morning that I, I want us to consider. So I'll have Chris to go ahead and put those up on the screen. The, the first question, and we'll come back to this one, is do you expect Jesus to do things by the same methods he used last time? Second question, do you say G, who, who do you say Jesus is? 
hopefully all of us come to, yes, he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. That, that, that's the ultimate answer. Yeah, he, he's the son of man, but he's the Christ. We need to have that same confession of faith that Peter did. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. Also, come down to the last question. Are you mindful of the things of God or the things of men? Peter clearly knew and put his faith in Jesus, but then at the same time was challenged by Jesus and rebuked by him saying, what are you mindful of, the things of God or the things of men? But the first question there, and Chris, I believe there's a video there. I hope it made it into the the slides this morning. It says, do you expect Jesus to do things by the same method he used last time? If you go back up to the first section that we looked at where Jesus was begged to touch somebody, and what does he do instead? Yeah, he grabs them by the hand, he leads them out of the city, and he spits in his eyes. See, they were expecting Jesus to do what he had done previously. We take it a step further and say they were expecting Jesus to come as the king who would conquer and be who they thought, and yet Jesus has come, and just like with the healing demonstrated, he's going to do something different than last time. He's also coming, he's going to do something different than what they expected. We can apply this to many of us who have a long history with God. We've seen God do many things. We sat maybe in what we call revival meetings in churches. We've we've experienced things before. And oftentimes, especially the older we get and the more of those experiences we've had, we sit there and we say, God, come on and move, just like last time. And I think sometimes God comes and says, okay, but I'm going to do it a different way. I'm going to spit in your eyes this time. And I wonder if we miss it because we're wanting God to do what he did a previous time, and he's now going to do it a little different way. There's a video I've been waiting to show you, and I could have used it in a few different ways, but I think it fits best this morning. Some of you may have seen it. I hope you have. Um, But it's a, a video that really demonstrates for us that times change, yes, but I want you to see it more that sometimes methods change, and I think methods change with God sometimes as well because he doesn't want us to get stuck in such a way that we think that's the only way he moves. It's kind of like your, your phone. How do you use a phone this morning? Most of you can pull it out of your pocket. Boy, have we come a long way. Do you remember the days, and yes, I do, when you got the phone off the hook and you had a long cord so you could go hide in a bedroom or a closet to talk to your friend on the phone? So no one else heard. So if you were like me and you had nosy sisters, they were trying to pick up the phone on the other end. And so then you start yelling, get off the phone. I heard it click. <laughs> Do you remember those days? Some of you I know are old enough for that. Well, let's go ahead and uh, Carissa, let's play this video. We'll see how this works. Elena, did, do you know what the name of that phone is? Jordan, do you know the name of that phone? You know how to use it. <laughs> yeah, my grandparents used to have the really old-fashioned one where you picked up and you pulled the thing. <laughs> Caitlin, do you know? Did your uncle tell you? No. <laughs> or what's the name of it? Yeah, rotary phone. You are correct. We had one growing up. I don't know if everybody, even my generation, had one of those in their homes or not, but we, we had an old-fashioned one somewhere. Uh, and then, yeah, Grandma and Grandpa had one at, at one point in their house. But, you know, technically that phone still works. He, they were supposed to be calling, I think, their mom or aunts 
on her cell phone with the rotary phone. It still works, but some of us, I think, are stuck at the rotary phone, so to speak, saying, God, you used to use this. Why aren't you doing it this way anymore? Doesn't, God's not changing who he is. God never changes who he is. Scripture tells us he's not a man that he should lie, but sometimes God's going to go from, I'm going to reach out and touch somebody, I'm going to allow someone to reach out in faith and touch me to be healed, to, again, he's going to spit in their eyes now. He's going to do a little different way. And for those of you that have been around long enough, and I'm sure the disciples were this way, you've seen God do things for so long the same way that when he starts to spit somebody's eyes, you probably get offended. Because that's not how you're supposed to do it. Sometimes that's how it goes. And we have to say, okay, God, you don't change who you are. But we also know that you can do who you are however you want. And we have to allow him to do that because he is God. He is the Christ. That's why the second question is, who do you say Jesus is? Well, if he really is the king... He can use whatever method he wants. We also have to understand then the third question. Are you mindful of the things of God or the things of men? Are you mindful of the things of God or the things of men? We'll see a transition in that with the, the 12 ultimately in Scripture. But we should ask ourselves that same question. Sometimes we're so stuck maybe in old methods, although we know, okay, he is the Christ, but we come... Than like Peter, and really we start talking and get mindful of the things of men instead of, no, what does God say? That's part of why we're going through Mark and trying to encourage us, myself included, in this to read Mark as if we are reading it for the first time. Because oftentimes we read scripture really kind of almost mindful of the things of men to a point where we say, okay, what's my problem? What do I want? And we come to scripture and say, how do I find that? How do I find that? How does that work? But reading through Mark is we are really encouraging you to come to, to Mark and not come to Scripture to necessarily find something to, to really read it and allow it to change us with what God is saying, not our own preconceived notions. And none of us can honestly do that um, because all of us come when we read Scripture, we, we come with our baggage, so to speak, our experiences. But we need to try our best that when we come to Scripture, as we're trying to study Mark and say, no, what does it say? Not what have I heard other times, but what is it, what is it saying? What is Jesus saying? And now, let that change my life. What do we go to first? We come with our experience and say, how do I make Scripture come to what I want? How do I find what I want? And there are times to do that. Oftentimes, when we're walking through difficult seasons, even as pastors, we would encourage people to do that. But as you mature in your faith, you really should be coming to Scripture and reading Scripture first and then allowing that to direct your steps, your path, every part of the journey. Worship team, will you make your way up here? Jesus loves us so much that as he is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. He, he affirms that and makes it clear that's who he is. Mark from the beginning makes it clear that's, that's who he is and who you're reading about. But the title that Jesus uses of himself over and over again, 
And it's always in reference to Jesus directly talking or conversation Jesus had had. He chooses to identify as the son of man. Because although he was the king of creation, he's the king of kings, he was willing to become the savior king for all of us. He is willing to suffer, be rejected, and die for each one of us. That's how much he loves us. That's why we come in part of our worship, because really giving your daily life, there are many elements that are part of our worship, but singing is one of them. That's why we come and we sing and we start off is because it is that response of love to the love that Christ first showed us. And so let us conclude this morning in prayer and just take a moment out of your own mouth. Just say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our king. Or thank you that you came and was, you were willing to be the son of man who would suffer, be rejected, and die for each one of us. Show us how much you love us so that our sins would be forgiven. We thank you for that. We love you. We worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to SBCC Weekly. We hope you'll subscribe to this podcast as well as give us a like. You can visit us again online at www.sangamonvalley.net.